Hello and welcome to episode 148 of section 138. I'm your host, Mark Cauley, as always, joined by my co-hosts, Bryson and Jacob. How are you guys? Doing good, Mark. Coming off of a series split with the Chicago White Sox, I think we all would say we would take it. It could have been a lot worse. Obviously, some things could have made it better, but definitely could have been a lot worse. So I think we'll take two of two from the White Sox any day of the week. Oh, yeah. And the, the just the fact that this series wasn't painful, like there were some tense moments in it, but the games that the Blue Jays lost, they didn't screw up in huge ways. Just that fact alone makes me happy to watch the Blue Jays this weekend and, and through this week. The fact that we didn't have to watch any stupid, painful late-inning losses. But how are you, Jacob? Uh, I'll just echo what you said there. It was I'm happy that, you know what, it was a good series. We attended half of it, so it was fun to witness. And you know what, the the Blue Jays were in it. They Even the games that they lost, they were way in that game. They easily were one pitch away. So uh, you know what, the standings might not have changed much, but I'll still take it. Very good series overall and a lot to work on or a lot to build on going into September. Yeah, we had our first in-person podcast meeting um, on the Tuesday game where the Blue Jays lost, of course, 5-2. to two. They had an opportunity to get back into the game a couple times, but the Brio start ultimately doomed them and the offense was not clicking at all. And then um, Jacob, you and I managed to get to Wednesday's game as well, which was far better, and we got to see Robbie Ray with his fantastic start. And unfortunately, we didn't hear the grunts because we were in the West Jet flight <laughs> deck about 400 feet away from him. But alas, it was still an awesome game to go to. And then, of course, the Blue Jays drop the series finale 10-7. to They make it close. They make it entertaining. But of course, they don't pull out with the win. Um, that The story of this week for the Blue Jays was the offense. Um, you go back to even the series against Detroit. They had game after game after game where they couldn't score any runs, it seemed like. And until the, what was it, the eighth inning, the seventh inning of yesterday's game on Thursday, the Blue Jays couldn't manage anything. I think the five runs that they scored in that inning was the most they had scored over any game, uh, let alone an inning, for a week. So you look at the stats there, and it's concerning. Like, this is an offense that we know it can do damage, but without George Springer, it's a lot less deep than it normally is. You have a team that yesterday you had Espinal batting sixth. It, for a team that, you know, supposedly is a contending team, we know now that it's almost certainly the fact that they aren't going to make the postseason. But for a team that is at least in the conversation, to have Santiago Espinal hitting sixth, as much as I love him, I think that's a problem. So it was disappointing to see the offensive production from this week dip a little bit, but hopefully they're getting their mojo back. We saw it, like I mentioned yesterday, Marcus Simeon had a fantastic day, two home runs, and they didn't just rely on the long ball. You had those three runs from the Simeon uh, homers, but then you get four runs by playing, you know, so-called small ball, singles, doubles, um, driving the runs in. So I'm a little bit encouraged by that, and hopefully they can get to the Detroit pitching in this upcoming series. But I think that's definitely the story of this week. It's the fact that the Blue Jays' offense is MIA right now. Well, primarily, it's the top of the order. I mean, I'll mention here, Teoscar Hernandez, that amazing road trip he had, 3-for-17 in the series. Bo Bichette, 2-for-16 with an RBI. Marcus Simeon had a fantastic uh, series finale, 3-for-5, but he was, uh, which elevated his, his numbers. He was 4-for-16 in the series, but going into that, he had only had two uh, or one hit, actually. And same thing with Vladimir Guerrero Jr., his numbers are a little bit better. Five for fifteen, average is back up over. Uh, it's in the three tens now, 
but the top of the order for the most part it was not there we saw a lot of rallies from the bottom of the order and Alejandro Kirk coming up late you know and that's a problem I think I mean obviously the White Sox do have some good pitchers they faced Carlos Rodon through a no-hitter so I mean and the White Sox are a good team you know so it's understandable when you're kind of get when you're getting into jams and you're not coming through against these tough guys but you should do it when your offense is this good and that that as I think what really did hurt them and you look at the games that they did win two to one and three to one or yes two to one and three to one both of those games very minimal offense and extremely good pitching whereas in the games that they lost it was a combination of not so great pitching and not taking advantage of really opportunities and they the Blue Jays did actually leave 27 runners on base which to my surprise actually is less than the 33 White Sox left on base but I think that number is highly elevated by game two of the series where they had like 20 hits or 18 hits or something like that but this offense it's got to turn around they're going to Detroit tonight I think they're starting their series they've got to turn it around hopefully maybe they get George Springer back I know the news was hopeful for Friday it doesn't look like it maybe they get him back at some point this series or in the next homestand that'll definitely impact the offense and it'll make it deeper but the guys at the at the top of the order are going to need to turn things around because what I think what we saw in this series is you can't rely on on fantastic starting pitching yes it's important obviously you expect good starting pitching but you can't rely on 14 strikeouts from Robbie Ray in order to win a game you, you got to have you got I mean I'll take that any day of the week but you got to have good pitching you got to have good defense which I actually thought was good especially in the in the second game I noticed I noticed it immediately it was funny all three outfielders had an outfield assist that definitely helped to keep some runners off the bases and it stopped a few from scoring but you're gonna have to back that up with some offense and it's it's looking like hopefully it happens in in the series against Detroit, and I mentioned the numbers for those guys, they were better in that third and fourth game, or primarily the fourth game, so I am a little bit optimistic, but it's going to be something that has to turn around, because when you're a team that relies on your offense, when your offense is cold, you're going to see what we've seen over the last couple weeks, where winnable games are just, they're not won, because you're unable to take advantage of opportunities, and as painful as it was, you know, you, you have one out the bases loaded against the former Blue Jay Liam Hendricks in I think it was the bottom of the eighth and Vladimir Guerrero Jr. hits into a double play now that definitely did crush uh, all hopes for the win but it's things like that that will end up re- resulting in losses so we're, we're gonna need to see some changes Pro- hopefully when Springer gets back that changes things obviously you'll see probably he'll lead off and then Bichette and Simeon will move down or however it goes but until Springer comes back, the guys at the top of the order, they're going to need to turn things around right away. Even even if the team doesn't make the playoffs, you still want an entertaining finish, and all you can hope for is that these guys are able to turn things around and really at least take some series against teams that you should take, like Detroit and like Baltimore, because at the end of the day, never say never on a playoff run, but if you're going to make it, you're going to need to win these games, and the offense is going to need to start to carry again. Yeah, it was another series where it kind of started off, um, or even just this entire series in general, where the offense continues to 
somewhat be missing. I mean, uh, there were some good moments of this series. There were some bad moments. Unfortunately, yesterday we got to witness one of the bad ones on the uh, the Tuesday game. But even on the Monday game, uh, when the Jays escaped it with 2-1, to one, which was the series opener, it was just another frustrating game, I guess, up until that eighth inning where the Jays took the go-ahead run. Uh, where the offense just couldn't get anything going again. They went 1-10 with runners in scoring position that game, and it kind of feels good because they kind of almost returned the favor um, after what happened the Friday before against Detroit where the kind of, the Jays lost the lead based off of a wild pitch slash, or slash pass ball, or however the heck you want to rule it. That's how they lost the game against the Tigers that day on Friday, which was August 20th. And then on August 23rd, to start off the series with the White Sox, they win the game or take the go-ahead run the same way. They lost the game on the Friday, which was cool to see. Um, and they escaped with that one. So that wasn't all that great. Alec Manoa had a really good start. However, he won six innings, gave up one earned run, five hits, five strikeouts. Um, uh, pretty much the starting pitching in that game was solid. And, of course, the game we were at, before the Jays even you know grabbed the bat, they were down 4 nothing, just like that. And we were talking about it uh, when we were at the game. We were talking about Jose Barrios in the first inning for some reason. He just can't seem to figure things out. Um, his start prior to the one with the White Sox, he had the exact same uh, issue uh, in terms of three runs in the first inning. And it happened again, except this one was worse. He gives up a couple hits. It just feels like he was hitting batting practice. We were also talking about it because... The White Sox had 18 hits, and they only managed to put up five runs. So the Jays were lucky that game was in reach. Um, it could have been a lot worse than that. But, yeah, it just when Jose Abreu hit that three-run home run, um, a lot of us kind of lost hope right away. And then, of course, the Jays had a couple opportunities later on in the game, but they ultimately didn't do anything with that. They did a little bit better with runners in scoring position that game. Still not the greatest. They went for three for nine. They left seven runners on base. And uh, they were just had a lot of opportunities. We know that at-bat um, where Vladimir Guerrero Jr. had the bases loaded. And unfortunately, uh, the Jays couldn't get anything out from that. So, you know, that was disappointing. And then the game that you 2 went to on the 25th, obviously a lot better near the later part of the game. The Jays took the lead in the eighth innings. Them taking the lead in the later innings is something that we haven't seen a lot this year. And it came from a Corey Dickerson triple. And of course, um, what was it? A bases loaded walk. So there you go. So some good at-bats in the eighth inning. And then, of course, Alejandro Kirk had a big hit as well in the eighth inning. Forgot to mention him there. So, you know, a couple big hits there. And a really good start from Robbie Ray again. Seven innings, 14 strikeouts. That would have been a start um, that would have been pretty, you know, awesome to see for you guys there in the building for that 14 strikeouts. And he just continues to play better and better. He leads the AL in ERA. And he's becoming a legitimate Cy Young Award candidate. And, you know, right now he could easily be the Cy Young Award, you know, favorite to win it all uh, at the end of the year. So good for Robbie Ray. Another one along with Marcus Simeon, who we've been talking about all year, who's going to be getting paid in the offseason. And starting pitching in that game was stellar again. Uh, the bullpen was pretty, you know, straightforward in that game. You go for Tim Mazer right after, who's been one of the most dependable relievers on this team this year, especially as a lefty coming out of the bullpen. You hand it over to Jordan Romano in the ninth inning, and usually good things happen when that happens. So that that was, a, you know, probably their best game of the series by far. And then the game yesterday, they, you know, the Jays put up seven runs the first time in probably a while. They put up over, you know, what was it, four or five runs in a game. And, um, you know, they just uh, coupled, it was just pretty much, based off of a bad start from Hunjin Ryu, who continues to struggle over the last, um, I would say, 30 days. I think he's got an ERA over over four in that span. So, um, you know, if he's still trying to figure things out. He's been up and down this month. He's had some good starts. He's had some bad starts. But it just feels like whenever he has bad starts now, he he's getting absolutely lit up. It's like he's throwing batting practice as well. He only lasted three and two thirds. He gave up seven hits, seven run runs, four strikeouts in that span of three and two in it, or three and two thirds. It just wasn't. It was an ugly one for him. And the offense showed up again with Marcus Simeon. You guys mentioned it. 
and then back from other or backed by other people that who are hitting or hit the ball well yesterday. So you take two out of two from the White Sox. I think it could have been, you know, you, obviously if you want to talk about a playoff spot, you needed to win that series. But I think all in all, when you you conclude it, I think uh, splitting it is definitely something that you'll take. And then, of course, you have a good series against the, the Tigers this weekend for those who are still holding out hope for a second wildcard spot. Just to put things in perspective, um, you were talking about it, I think, a couple weeks ago where the Jays had a playoff percentage uh, from Fangraphs. Uh, they had them at 35% to make the playoffs. That is some. Uh, that is now dipped to 7.9% to make the playoffs. So that's a pretty drastic fall from there. And yes, I know there could be reinforcements like Jordan. Uh, sorry, George Springer on the way. Is it too late? Most likely, we've been talking about this for the last week as well. But he seems to be like he's inching closer to be to be playing possibly tonight uh, in the opener in Detroit. Um, that's obviously going to change the lineup for sure. You know, someone like Bo Bichette who's been struggling over the last thirty days likely going to move down in the order. I know. I want to ask you guys too. Do you think he maybe moves lower to than what we saw him? from him beforehand uh before George Springer went down in Seattle because a lot of people were talking about moving him down to potentially you know fifth um based off of how he's been performing over the last 30 days he has an OPS of 572 and an average of 220 he just seems to be swinging at almost everything uh he doesn't look comfortable and I think we've been we've mentioned his struggles as well someone and of course we've mentioned Vladimir Guerrero Jr. struggles but uh, I think Bo Bichette is you know in my opinion is somebody who I've been starting to notice a lot more now in terms of someone who's been struggling over the last 30 days. So, you know, George Springer coming back is going to help the lineup. Um, maybe him in the lineup just somehow makes the offense better in terms of he just with his name there. But obviously, he's going to bring a lot more to the table. Who knows how long it'll take for him to get his timing back. But that's also good news for him to be coming back. And as we currently stand, they are five and a half games out of the second wildcard spot. Um, you know, you, you got to have a good series. Uh, against the Tigers this weekend, I think two out of three at the worst case scenario. Is that going to happen? Who knows? We've been disappointed before. And um, unfortunately, I can't say we won't be disappointed again for sure. So who knows what happens this weekend. But that's pretty much where the, the Jays stand now. And um, yeah, you, you're starting to get healthy and you have the, the Tigers this weekend in Detroit for three games. Yeah, I don't think Bo should be moved down lower than fourth. I think fourth, um, it really suits him. Like, it, it, it really worked for him when he was in that spot in the lineup. And, yeah, his numbers haven't been where you want them to be over the last, like you said, 30 days. Not the greatest numbers. But it's still, it, it the fourth spot suits him. He had success there earlier this year. I I honestly think his struggles are just he's beaten up right now. It doesn't matter where he's sitting in the lineup. He had those shin contusions. We've seen him struggle with that. So, I honestly think that's what it comes down to. And I don't think, like... On the whole, with this offense, I'm not concerned about the offensive production. Like, this is still one of the best offenses in baseball. But I think what we're seeing is a wear and tear of the season. The loss of George Springer. Guys trying to do too much at the plate, and that's what's happening. So I'm not concerned. I'm just frustrated. Like, it's obviously annoying to watch the Blue Jays go in that Detroit series, 1 for 31 with runners in scoring position. A little bit better in this White Sox series, and of course it was a four-game set, so the numbers are different because of that, but um, it's frustrating to watch that, but I'm not concerned, and um, I think if we're talking about lineup construction and you know maybe moving Bo Bichette, how about Corey Dickerson? Um, I think he should be playing more, and I know this is a point of at least something I brought up in uh, Wednesday's game. Um, Charlie Montoyo pinch hit... Uh, Bravik Valera for Corey Dickerson. Corey Dickerson was in the starting lineup. He brought in Bravik Valera. I think it was the eighth inning. 
Um, and ultimately it worked. Bravik Valera got a single. He kept the inning alive um, and kept it moving and gave the Blue Jays a chance. I think it was Kirk who came up next and, of course, had that big hit. So obviously it worked, and hindsight is twenty twenty. But I still would rather see, in most situations, Corey Dickerson up in that place. I mean, he had... His, his numbers with the Blue Jays don't jump off the plate page. He has a 263 batting average over the 20 games he's played in Toronto, but he's got three homers. He's got two triples and two doubles. I think the numbers he's putting up, I think he should be more than a role player with the Blue Jays right now. I think he deserves more than just sitting on the bench and filling in when necessary. I think he should be playing, if not every day, most days of the week because of the numbers he's putting up, the fact that he's a lefty bat, the fact that he gives you that depth in the lineup, I'd like to see him playing more and certainly not be pinch hit for Bravik Valera. Again, hindsight's twenty twenty. The move worked out. I don't know how much I can criticize it because it did work, but I think I would rather see Corey Dickerson up in that situation and I'd rather see him get more playing time than someone like, let's say, Josh Palacios, even though you know we're all fans of him. He put up great numbers in his first stint with the Blue Jays. I'd rather see Corey Dickerson get more playing time than someone like that. Well, I think it's just going to get even more complicated when Springer comes back, whether it's today, whether it's tomorrow, whether it's in a couple weeks or whatever, or a couple days. But I, I agree with you. And, you know, I think the, the one thing that I said to you, because we were bantering about this and you said, or we both said, yes, the move worked. But if I'm looking for a calculated risk, that's not the one I'm taking in pinch hitting for Corey Dickerson or pinch hitting Corey Dickerson for another hitter. Because he's he's not been bad. I mean, you mentioned a 260 average. That's pretty good. I mean, that's better than average, and that's you know that's I think that's similar to what Gurriel's hitting around that. That is the way I see it. That's that earns you an everyday role on this team. And with Randall Gritchick hitting under 250, you know that's definitely something that you could consider having him play a little bit less. And also he is a righty, so there's you know there, there's a little bit of a benefit to keep Dickerson in the lineup but yeah I mean this is this so I like the move I liked having Corey Dickerson but I think this ha is too complicated of a problem for the Blue Jays because a month ago or not a month ago back when we were looking for opening day when we were planning on how the the outfield was going to be handled it looked like Grichik was going to probably DH the majority of the time because now you have at that point you had four everyday outfielders so he was going to DH or however things were going to be dealt with, and then he obviously was hitting well, so then you, you can't take him out of the lineup, and now you have, really, you have five outfielders when Springer comes back that could easily play every day, and somebody is, I think somebody is going to go down to AAA. That's the tough part, is who? Do you send down an established Major League hitter like Randall Gritchick? Is it, is it Corey Dickerson? I don't know. I mean, realistically, they're not getting sent down, and I'll, you know, just to anybody that that thinks that's going to happen, absolutely not. It'll but. be it'll be someone like Valera or uh, and you know they got Kevin Smith and Josh Palacios on the roster right now, so it's going to be one of those three guys. But th that's the but that see the the problem with that is then who plays? Like I mean, obviously th that can be dealt with, and I'm not saying that that wouldn't be dealt with, but then you get the problem of is Grichik out of the lineup for th for three two or three days in a row, or you know how does that work? But I think that. Corey Dickerson should be playing. It, it, realistically, I think he should come back, and he's a he's a UFA going into 2022. So he Blue Jays are going to need to make a move. I, it's Grichik is under contract for for next season. I don't. It, I, the best option I think would maybe be 
get rid of Grichik and switch and sign Corey Dickerson maybe a year or two. Because right now, I think the the price is probably right for him. He's he's not hitting terrible with this team. Why not stay? I think it's definitely a legitimate option for them. And it, you know his defense is not even that bad. I mean, we've seen him make some routine plays. He's not he's not really made any misplays. I don't think, except for maybe one or two that have escaped me. But yeah, he's he's a guy that should stay on this team or should stay in the lineup every day. And who knows? I mean, the, we we talk about the Adam Simber trade and how it was the potential to get Corey Dickerson down the line and now down the line they have him he's hitting well I say he's got to stay in every day and if you're if you're Guriel, if you're Hernandez you're Grichik I mean really if you're any of the outfielders either you perform or Corey Dickerson is just going to sneak in and take your job because he has earned it I think that's fair to say Absolutely, he has. And he has been pretty much, I think, excelling um, from what I've seen or from his career numbers. Yes. Uh, <clears throat> ever since coming over to the Jays or he, um, he sorry, coming over to the Jays, he's hit uh, he in 20 games for the Jays here, 826 OPS compared to how he did with Miami in 62 games and OPS under uh, 700 at 699. So Corey Dickerson has been quite the addition to this lineup. And yeah, it was definitely interesting. The game that you guys went to on uh, game three. Uh, when he was pinched it for Bravic Valera like that. But, you know, I, I agree with you. I think he should be in the lineup more. But when it comes to playing time for other people like Randall Grichik and all, I'm not too worried about that um, as much as you are, Jacob. I think I see Randall Grichik no more than a fourth outfielder on this team when everyone's healthy. I said that at the beginning of the year, and I stand by that. I know he had a really good start to the year. But even over the last 30 days, Randall Grichik's been hitting under 200 in the last um 30 days so I'm not too worried about him for that ground ball machine hitting into all those double oh he is absolutely he is yeah and that's why I'm not worried about it like at all and when it's when it comes to somebody going down it'll yeah I agree with Mark it'll either be Smith or it's going to be Palacios I think Valera is going to be here um as long as until Kevin Biggio comes back and that's if Kevin Biggio comes back so in that case Valera might be up for the rest of the year in, in that case so that's why I'm not too worried about any of that or not you know overthinking it in terms of that I just think you have to make room for Corey Dickerson almost every day for sure. Um, even with this lineup being fully healthy when George Springer is back at some point this weekend, you have to take into account too when George Springer is back, he's likely, most likely, even Charlie Montoya confirmed this, that he's going to be DHing more than he's going to be playing center field. So um, you got to keep you know someone like Corey Dickerson. That obviously opens up room for him to play in the outfield. Um, and then, of course, they can kind of figure out who's going to be playing center field, who's going to be playing left field, right field. It's something that they can uh, figure out with that. They have a lot of bodies to do that, and that's why I'm not overly worried about any of that, really. So, yeah, I just I agree with you, though. I think Corey Dickerson should be uh, in the lineup more. I, you know, as much as that move did work out, I'm I'm not gonna lie, I didn't agree with it at the time, so I'm not gonna you know, all of a sudden changed my opinion because it did work at the at the time when it happened. I was questioning it for sure, but I'm glad obviously it did work. But it just it just felt weird for that hap- or for that move to be made, especially what he did later or what he did at the game when he hit an RBI triple um, when he got the Jays kind of going with in terms of the runs and, you know, from that. So that's why um, I didn't agree with it from the time. But yeah, I mean, when he, when George Springer is back, Corey Dickerson needs to find a spot. You know, I like I also like where he hitting where he's hitting. I like uh, middle of the order. Fifth or sixth is a good spot for my think. And yeah, I mean, someone like uh, Randall Grichik, as much as, you know, it, it hates to say it because he's been here for so long, uh, going back to the days in 2019, it's just, you know, playing time for him this year came because, or he got most of his playing time more than expected because of the injuries. And what when it's all said and done, when someone like Springer is back and someone like Dickerson, who's hitting well, 
you know, and, and for Randall Gritchick, who hasn't been, you know, helping his case at all, you know, it just obviously that hates to say it, but, you know, unfortunately his playing time is going to start deteriorating uh, for the rest of the year. And it's, it's as simple as that. And just quickly, the DH spot, that'll get a little interesting too, because we saw Kirk slide, uh, slating in as the designated hitter for that last game, gave Reese McGuire a chance to catch. So who knows how that really can impact even the rest of the guys. I mean, I'm sure we're not going to see two catchers in a game very often. I think maybe there's only happened three or four times since the Russell Martin and Josh Tolley days. But yeah, it, the, even just with the, the whole designated hitter, Springer taking that, that'll give, uh, honestly, that kind of solves the problem because then you have your, you can fit Guriel, Hernandez, Gritchick, probably more uh, Dickerson than Gritchick, but at least that gives you some flexibility. But even for that, then you'll probably see Guerrero for, at first base every single day. And, and there's just, at least the Blue Jays have, I think, the the offensive tools to construct a lineup like this because I'd, I'd rather have more options than not. But yeah, if, you know, if you, if you're able to have your DH or if, if Springer DHs, then, you know, that just kind of answers our questions, but it's still, it still, I think will result in a lot less playing time for guys like Grichik. Yeah. And if Springer's DHing every day, um, I think Grichik gets more playing time than other guys. Cause in my mind, he's really the only guy on this roster, the only guaranteed guy to stay on this roster. Um, who can play center field. I mean, Palacios can play center field. Um, I think Kevin Smith is probably questionable in center field. They like to move him around, but he you know, he has only played a few games in left field, and he was getting versatility there in the minors. So I'm not confident with him in center field, and I'm certainly not confident with Teoscar Hernandez and Lourdes Goriel Jr., regardless of the defensive improvements they've made this season and the steps forward they've taken I'm not comfortable with them in center field so I think if Springer comes back and he's DHing most of the time um Randall Grishik is going to be seeing playing time just because of a product of his defense in center and even if it is league average it's leagues ahead of the alternatives there if of course barring keeping Palacios on the roster barring you know calling up Otto Lopez you know we get rosters expanding a little bit not as much as they used to of course in September so we'll see about that um on Springer coming back I'm not holding my breath um because we've seen what happened earlier this season I think this situation is different I think the Blue Jays are purposely kind of rushing him in his development I think earlier they were saying they're being incredibly cautious and they were and every day we're hearing that he's running but it's not totally 100 percent and you know, he's running the bases for weeks on end, but making no developments. And I think the Blue Jays are consciously saying we're rushing him. Like we need him up in the majors as fast as possible to have any shot, any, you know, uh, however slim it is, any shot of making the postseason, we need him in the majors. So they are rushing him here as fast as possible. I'm still not going to hold my breath. I'm going to believe it when I see him in the roster um, and on the field, but I think that is encouraging. It's nice to see those developments that we've seen. Maybe he comes back in this series against the Tigers. Maybe not. Who knows? Um, are you guys concerned at all that he won't be playing center field most of the time? Or at least from our impressions of it, it sounds like he's not going to be playing center field most of the time. When he first came back this season in May for those four games, he wasn't playing in center field. He was DHing. They, the Blue Jays are kind of taking the, the same approach they are now, saying... We want his bat in the lineup. We're going to rush him. We're going to get him in there. 
and then wait until he's healthy enough to play in the field. We saw what happened then. It took him four games to re-injure that um, injury and get back on the injured list. Are you at all concerned that we might see the same thing here? Would you prefer him stay on the injured list for a few extra days, get a little bit more healthy, and then he can play center field full-time and be totally ready to go? Well, if he if he's not playing center field because he's not healthy enough to play it, then yes, I, I absolutely. It sucks, but I'll take the extra couple days on the IL. But if it's just center field for the sake of being too cautious, then honestly, I, I don't care. As long as he's in the lineup and as long as he's able to produce, then that's fine. You know, if if it's if it's something where he they're being cautious because they predict an injury or because it's they're rushing him, then stay on the aisle. I honestly, at this point, I think Springer he wants to play, but you also have to wonder what happens if he injures himself and there's potentially surgery or, or some type of extended injury that that goes into next season because at this point that's the biggest concern and that's what pretty much everybody on Sportsnet on Blue Jays Central has been saying is the last thing you want to do is injure yourself and then a bad 2021 that's just filled with injuries turns into a uh, an extended injury that go lasts into 2022 and you miss spring training or you miss the start of the season and that I th- that would be the the ultimate failure in my mind if on the Blue Jays if if Springer somehow does something to re-aggravate any injury at this point because what it's been the oblique the quad now the shin or the knee or whatever it is but he, all lower body but there's been so many injuries and at this point is if it extends into 2022 to any capacity even if like if it's the off season and he's ready to go by spring training then at the end of the day us fans and and whatnot we won't really see it as much but I think Springer will be a little bit fed up, I, uh, to be completely honest, if if that does happen, and rightfully so. I mean, he, at this point, you sign him for this for six years, one hundred fifty million dollars. It's your new club. You you want to play, and at this point, you know you gotta take the best approach, but you also don't want to lose the human element and say no, you're sitting out because I don't think he wants to. And the the one difference I think between this injury or this IL stint and the other ones is. Charlie Montoyo seems very optimistic, and the one thing a couple of days ago, I think it was on the on the walk to the dome, I saw a video where he he basically said, "Yeah, I'm waiting for Springer to give me the green light, and I'll throw him in the lineup." Whereas previously it was, "Wait till tomorrow, we'll see what happens or whatever." No, at this point it's, "Give me the thumbs up, and you, your name's penciled in." So at least, now is that is that being too? Is that rushing him or is that, you know, being too optimistic? I don't know. All I know is that from from a PR perspective, the Blue Jays just want him back. And it looks like the second he's ready, they're putting him in. And t- to be completely honest, they do need him. Is the playoff chances or do they gra- or do they dramatically increase? Probably not. I mean, they could. Springer makes the team a lot better, but it's definitely still going to be very tough to do it. But if you're Springer... Come back when you're ready. If you're re- if you're ready, but like it, it's you're just being overly cautious and DH DHing him the entire season or most of it. I really don't care. I just want to see him in the lineup and I want to see him competing. I want to see him giving them a chance to win because right now he, you know, he hypes the dugout up and that's one of the things I noticed all all games uh, all game long is he doesn't look demoralized. But you know, if you want to impact the team. You got to be on the field, and I know it's not really his fault in, in total, but yeah, at, th- at this point, I feel like the Blue Jays are going to send him back the second he's ready, 
all I hope is that they don't screw it up and have him slightly before he's ready and use the DHing spot as a crutch because we saw what that happened or how that ended up resulting last time because that at this point you're not like I said you're not worried about missing any more time in 2021 you're worried about the offseason and you're worried about 2022 so get this right if he's ready to come back let him compete if he's not it's gonna suck and I know it'll, he'll hate it but you got to keep him out until he's until he's 100% ready I um I think he's got to come back uh, as a DH whenever the heck he's ready to go as well. I don't think they need to be. I don't think they should be waiting. I think just because of the spot of the season that we're in now. Going back to when he first came back, I do think, or when we obviously when we look at back at it now, he wasn't ready, and I think obviously that's where the Jays made a mistake. But the one thing about Springer um, that we've learned, I guess, over the course of the season is when he doesn't feel something right, he alerts the staff right away. When he came back at first as a DH, and then of course when he what was it four games or four days, like you said, Mark. Um, when he pulled himself, he pulled himself out of the game. And then of course, with this, this knee injury that, you know, suddenly appeared after what was it, a couple days, because everyone was worried about his ankle. He's the one that told the staff about his knee. So that's the one thing I trust Springer on in terms of, you know, is he going to hurt himself even more? Or, you know, what are the chances this goes worse is the one thing about Springer and that what we've learned is he's, he tells the staff, uh, if there's something wrong. And that's why this is a, this is going to be ultimately up to him, and I think that's what Charlie Montoyo said, and I think the Jays understand that. Obviously, they're watching him with the close eye. He's running the bases every day. There's, there's only so much you can do um, other than watching him do all this and all that. But ultimately, it is up to him. And if he doesn't feel comfortable playing, then he shouldn't play. But if he is, if he's ready to go and if he's ready to, you know, I think the one thing that all of us have kind of expected, and even before Charlie Montoyo confirmed this, is that he's going to be coming back more of his more of a DH than center field if he plays any center field anyway. Um, I think, you know, I think we all need to be prepared for, we were all prepared for that. And that's why it's up to him. And that's, and, you know, mathematically, they're not out of it. Obviously, they're not. However, if it was, you know, if they were, a, what, over maybe eight games back, maybe he shuts himself down for the year. Maybe the Jays don't even bother. But in this case, obviously, the Jays think they can still have a chance at that second wildcard spot. They believe they can still fight as much as it looks very unlikely game by game. Um, this is why, you know, he's going to be coming back as a designated hitter. And, you know, it, I think the Jays are definitely nervous as well. I think this is a I think this is a risk. I do. I don't know how big of a risk it is, but, you know, you know that the front office, the training staff, as much as George Springer is going to tell them he's ready to go, um, there's definitely some fear in that situation. They're in a tough spot. They've been in a tough spot with them all year, with this quad, with his oblique, with his ankle, with his knee. And it's just, you know, as much as he's been lighting it up ever since he's been back, he's been making up for lost time, the numbers that he put up before he went down in Seattle. Um, you know, health-wise, it's been a nightmare for him this year. And that's the one thing you feel bad for him for, for all Jays fans. You know, technically... Um, we didn't wait. You didn't waste a year of Springer. You just there's a lot of a lot of lost time you had with him, and you know you hope that this is the only year out of his five six years that he's here that this happens. But unfortunately, you you can't obviously assume that or confirm that. Um, it just wasn't the greatest start to his Jays tenure. When he comes back, he plays well, and this happens again. And now the Jays are on the outside looking in of a playoff spot by five and a half games. So you know if this is in April. Uh, I think he comes back full time as a center fielder. That's that's my belief, which is why we go back and I think we all disagree, and we all know that he came back too early and he should have been, he should have waited until he's one hundred percent ready to go. But at this point in the season, um, you're heading into September now. 
you know, as much as he won't be healthy for the rest of the year, and I think we all understand that as well, uh, he's got to come back as soon as he can. And that's why, as much as the Jays can do so much, he needs to be very vocal. And I think they've gone over that. I'm sure he knows that. But they, there needs to be a lot of communication. Um, I think this is, you know, once he is back, because who knows when he's really back. You know, Charlie Montoyo, the one thing about him this year, too, is he has been horrible um, with you know, how he talks about injuries in terms of day-to-day, you know, all of a sudden turning into a two-month IL stint, because that's pretty much what happened with George Springer. You know, we were talking about it, you know, if he was going to be ready for the opening series go- going back to in April with the Yankees, if he was going to be playing. And he came back, you know, almost in what? You know, he came back almost two months later, and then he gets hurt again, and he's out for, you know, another month plus. So as much as uh, I've learned this year not to believe anything Charlie Montoyo says about injuries, uh, we know that it's going to be a game-by-game thing, and when he is back, there's got to be some sort of, you know, monitoring him game-by-game in terms of, you know, just watching him closely during games, after games. Um, Who knows how, he's probably going to be getting more off days than usual as well. I don't think he's going to be playing consistently every day that's why it's going to be game by game but he's got to come back uh, as soon as he feels like he's ready to go and he, he looks ready I mean we've seen videos of him running the bases as much as that you know gets fans annoyed because we've been pretty much watching that all year <laughs> um, and before the game running the bases and doing batting practice you know we haven't really seen a lot of him fielding even you know as much as he has a little bit it's been more batting practice and running so it also feels like he's also preparing to come back more of a DH and that's more what he's focused on right now because his bat in the lineup has been a massive boost, and I think we've seen the difference of him in the lineup and him not in the lineup, and there's a massive, massive difference in terms of the numbers. So um, I don't know. I don't want to even predict when he'll be back. I know they're going to, you know, everyone's saying there's a chance it could be tonight on the Friday, could be some point this weekend. Maybe they wait until the homestand next week. Either way, I do think he's going to be back this year, though, at some point, and um, I assume it's going to be sooner rather than later, but again, I'm not going to give a firm timetable just because I'm done predicting injuries with this team and how it's handled by, you know, Montoyo, the media and everything else. Yeah. I think the importance of Springer on this team and in this lineup is, I mean, it's impossible to overstate, but the Blue Jays are 29 and 20 with Springer in the lineup without him. If I've done the math right, they're 37 and 40. So all of their games over 500 have come from George Springer, from him in the lineup. So obviously don't want to see him rushed, but it is so, so important that the Blue Jays get him back. And honestly, if he's not fully healthy, if he's DHing and they get him back for that few weeks and then he can fully recover in the offseason, I am okay with that. Um, but let's talk about Robbie Ray because this is a conversation that everyone has been having. There is two parts to this conversation. The number one part is Cy Young, um, and we'll get to that. But the number two part is extension. And everyone's been tossing around numbers, so I just want, you know, a quick poll before we get to the Cy Young conversation, what you think it will take for the Blue Jays to get Robbie Ray back, and if you think they will offer. Because right now, um, with the numbers he's putting up, it's going to be a five-year deal at least. I think this is, you know, he's in his age 31 season, I believe. He's going to be commanding a whole lot of money, and he's going to want it because it's kind of his final free agency payday as a player. He's not really going to hit free agency at another point in his career with as good numbers as he has. He's going to be demanding a whole lot of money in free agency. So I think it's going to be five years at minimum, $100 million. That'd be $20 million average annual value. I think it's going to be more than that, though. Probably more like $125 million. And I think that's kind of what the Blue Jays should expect to pay to at least be competitive. It's going to be a George Springer-type contract. Whether that's deserved or not, Who knows? You know, George Springer had put up 
all-star type numbers for multiple seasons. This is the first season we've seen this out of Robbie Ray. He's always had the potential, but this is the first season he's put up those numbers. So I think it's going to be a question of consistency from him, whether he can do that long-term. But um, I think ultimately he's going to sign for that. And I think, yes, the Blue Jays will put up that money. I My mind has changed about this over the past few days. Um, on the Bob McCown uh, podcast, there was a section where he was talking with Ross Atkins and um, Ross Atkins kind of cryptically alluded to the fact that the Blue Jays payroll is going to be going up and that this offseason is going to be a big offseason. He didn't give any specific numbers. He said the goal or what they're hoping kind of in an ideal situation, the payroll would be at $200 million. Um, not after this season alone, but over the next few years, you can grow the payroll to that point. And I think Bob McCowan at the end of the podcast said that at some point, the Blue Jays may even be a $300 million payroll team just because of the, and we saw earlier this season um, in the preseason, Mark Shapiro say it, it's kind of a behemoth of a market. This team can be, you know, as big as the Dodgers or the Red Sox or the Yankees. So knowing all that and the situation the Blue Jays are in and what they need, I think they will be willing to spend that money and they're going to at least offer him a competitive contract. I don't know if he accepts it, if he goes somewhere else, but I think at the very least they're going to offer and be competitive. Um, where do you guys put the number at and do you think the Blue Jays are going to offer it? I'm going to echo what you said because I thought the exact same thing. $20 million is the minimum, I think, for Robbie Ray at this point. Minimum that he'll accept. It's realistic for him. I mean, like you said, it's his, probably his last free agency where he'll be able to make a lot of money. And you see, you've seen this pretty much all throughout a lot of sports, really, even NHL, NBA, a lot. I mean, the NBA is a little bit of a different story, but even in baseball and even past Blue Jays, you know, Jose Bautista wanted a, a five-year, I think, $150 million contract. Like, you're seeing guys in their last chance to make their money, they're, they're looking to do it. And I think that's realistic for Robbie Ray. And what a story for him in a contract season. He's coming into it, led the league with Arizona with 31 walks last season. Now he leads the league in strikeouts, which a bit of a turnaround if you ask me. But I, I think Robbie Ray's a guy that I, I think has to come back if this team wants to be competitive. Yes, there are other options, maybe prospects and other guys who may come available in the coming years. But if you want somebody to lock up for your rotation at 31 years of age, it's got to be Robbie Ray. And he easily could I think you're right Mark 20 million dollars is the realistic annual salary I think for him you're probably gonna see a contract where that 20 million is is multiplied by five or six seasons maybe not six I would say four or five years so I mean look the Blue Jays did it with Hyunjin Ryu four years 80 million dollars I think they did it with Mark Burley it was a, a or it was a similar contract four years 80 or whatever it was but They've done this before, and I think it's realistic to expect twenty million a season, and that's more a little bit more than the qualifying offer. I think it's eighteen or nineteen this season. But if you're Robbie Ray, I think he he wants to come back. I think that's realistic to to predict. Look what he did last year. He was the first guy to sign. I don't see why he wouldn't want to do that again, or maybe not be the the first guy, but come back to the team that he really found a home with. And and Pete Walker has worked with him. He, I think that was one of the reasons why he wanted to come here. And so if you're looking to put up those numbers and you're looking to potentially win a World Series, 
I think that this is the perfect fit for Robbie Ray. Maybe next season's not his World Series year, but if you want to be one of potentially three or four legitimate aces on a pitching staff and and you want to make a deep run into the playoffs year in and year out, this is probably the the team to do it with. And I think the Blue Jays are willing to put up that money. So I'm going to say the exact same thing as you. Five years, $100 million, $20 million average annual value. I think that it could easily happen. I, I, I do really, really think that it could happen. And you look at how the rotation could, could be looking for the next couple seasons. I mean, Nate Pearson, bit of a wild card. I'm still holding him to a high standard. I think he's a starter. But if you throw... Nate, you put Pearson, Robbie Ray, Ryu for another two seasons, although seen a bit of a decline. You have Barrios next year, Alec Manoa. I mean, who expected what we're seeing out of him to be to to be what he's able to do? And I think he's. A, I'm going to assume it's the same thing as Pearson, where he's, they've got six more years uh, left of control on him. But this could be one of the deepest rotations in all of baseball if you can get Robbie Ray extended and you can have him as a as somebody that you pencil in every five days for the next four or five seasons. So if you're the Blue Jays, priority number one has to be extending Robbie Ray, or not extending, but uh, or you could extend him in theory, but I think signing Robbie Ray is the utmost priority for this team. Next, they got to figure out what the heck that bullpen is going to be, but... Before you do anything, lock this guy up four or five seasons, 20 million a year. I think that he'll accept that. I think, you know, he, he it's reasonable to anticipate him want to come back, work with Pete Walker, and as I mentioned earlier, potentially win a World Series. So, it's, you know, I'm saying this as if it's ha- going to happen because all year long I've kind of anticipated that, you know, he's having a good year. Why not come back? It's it's at this point going maybe a month or two ago I would have said two or three years thirty to forty million, but at this point Robbie Ray is he's going to be commanding not only a lot of money but a lot of term. So if you're the Blue Jays, you got to lock him up. You got to at this point you you almost got to do what he wants because he's he's at the point where the value that he brings to this team is worth whatever thing whatever he's going to command so if if you're ross atkins you got to make this move extend him four years five years i'm going to say five years 100 million dollars let's make it happen and let's let's have him be i'll say let's have him be the ace of the staff for the next couple seasons yeah this is going to be a tough one because you have two guys here with robbie ray you have marcus simeon two guys who are going to be getting paid i think it's highly unlikely both are back i think you know, I'm I'm just gonna say it too. I think Robbie Ray is needed more on this team than Marcus Simeon, long term, and that's crazy for me to say because of the numbers that both of them have put up. But the starting pitching, um, you need Robbie Ray in that rotation next year, and, and then of course when you have Marcus Simeon leaving, you know I'm not saying it's gonna happen for sure, but you know you you have infielders in the system and you have you know pathways where you can fix that or kind of address that with Robbie Ray. Uh, there's not a really if a lot you know in terms of that in terms of flexibility if he leaves and that's why i think the priority needs to be bringing back robbie ray um in terms of dollars i think the baseline for it the starting point the starting point and this is like very very like i'm talking like starting uh the ryu contract at four years and 80 million and i think the more he pitches like this the more it's going to go up uh 20 million dollars a year is a fair guess I'm thinking he's going to get a little bit more than that. I'm thinking maybe $22, $23 million a year. And the question for me is the term. 
I don't think he's going to get four years. I think five years um, is something maybe the Jays can look at. The question that I have is, is the team going to go at six years? And I wouldn't be surprised if that's a possibility. Six years, $120 million. Um, that's $20 million a year. But even the even the the term at six years, I don't know if I do six years, but I do think the Jays would entertain something around four or five years. And I think four years is pretty much. And if he continues to do this in September as well, I'm not even going to look at four years. I'm going to forget about that. It's going to be starting at five years and then maybe six, but you know, there's going to be a team that give or offers him six mil. I mean, six years, you know, there is. And that's why it's going to be whether what Robbie Ray wants, do the Jays compete with that in terms of maybe overpaying? Do they stick with an offer and do they kind of, you know, win him back over by saying, look what Pete Walker did to you. Look what, look at the turnaround you've had. And I think that's one of the reasons why Robbie Ray came back here in the first place. It was the first move of the offseason last year was bringing back Robbie Ray for one year at $8 million. And that's the first thing they did. I think he pretty much said working with Pete Walker, he loves working with Pete Walker. And that was one of the reasons why he came back in the first place. But, you know, looking for it now, um, I wouldn't sign an extension if I was him. I would go right into the open market. I, five years, six years is definitely, you know, something that's going to be more realistic. $20 million, again, is fair, and it's a fair guess to start things off. But you have to imagine someone's going to over go up in terms of 22, 23. You know, I'm not going to say I wouldn't be surprised he gets 25. I'm not saying it's going to come from the Jays, but... It's going to be depending on this mar- the market too this year for starting pitchers is pretty deep and that's why I think a lot of people are going to get uh, paid. There's going to be a lot of options for pretty much every team out there, but that's why I'm not sure how much teams will overpay. But I do think it's likely he gets tw- up to 22 million dollars a year. And the, the you know the question that intrigues me more is if a team's going to give him six years because I think five years is a good start uh, a good fair guess in terms of five years a hundred million maybe one ten and that would knock it up to twenty two million dollars a year so that's what I'm looking at right now with Robbie Ray and now Marcus Simeon as well another guy who's going to get paid like that you know are you looking at maybe a similar deal for him as well regardless of where he goes because it's it's a pretty fair guess and it's a pretty you know reasonable argument that both of them are going to get similar deals wherever they ha- they go but you know. I'm also curious to see how this is approached by both of them from Ross Atkins and Mark Shapiro. You have to imagine they know that this is something that's going to be, or, you know, this is something that they're preparing for. And I am curious to see, you know, do they try and bring back both? Because if the payroll is going to go up and I, you know, at this point you, you figure it has to, because you have these guys that you, you know, maybe one of the two come back. You have to pay Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Eventually Bo Bichette, uh, Teoscar Hernandez is somebody who's, who's up soon as well. I know that he, I was saying that he would be open to an extension, then that's somebody that you also have to kind of monitor as well. And obviously, at the end of the day, you can't keep all these guys. And that's just the reality of sports. That's the reality of what you have on this roster. But um, there's ways that you can, you know, fix the not even fix it. There's ways that you can make it all work, um, or at least to try. But yeah, it's just this offseason, especially because... You know, you, you, we all know the Jays are just getting started in terms of what they're looking at. We know that, you know, you can anticipate it's going to be another aggressive offseason for them. But, um, you know, to start things off, bringing back Robbie Ray again, that'd be a pretty cool thing to do two years in a row. I'm just saying that would be pretty cool. Um, it's going to be tougher than last year. I think we all know that. And that's an understatement that was determined almost a couple months ago, pretty much almost at the All-Star break. But yeah, five, six years upwards of 120 million maybe if you go six years and if you go five years 100 million probably to start and you know even what I was saying about the Hunjin Ryu deal I think that each start he makes that's increasingly getting higher and higher because a few months ago that also would have been maybe my prediction four years 80 million dollars but now he's surpassing that for sure.
one thing we also, I think, can't forget is look what the Blue Jays did with Springer. He wanted $150 million. The Blue Jays gave it to him over uh, six years instead of five, so the 25 mil a year instead of 30, which could easily happen. I mean, do I think six years for a starting pitcher is realistic? Probably, probably not. But if you're Robbie Ray and you're commanding 120 million or more, that six year might be the key to, for pretty much any team in getting you because you know at that at that price. I'm not saying he doesn't deserve it. I'm just saying that would be a ridiculously high price to pay for five seasons and spreading it out was probably a little bit more likely if if and also more creative probably for the teams yeah i don't think he gets six years only because um i hate to use this comparison but trevor bauer if you want to compare him as a similar obviously not off the field but on the field a similar type of guy who doesn't have the career numbers but had the career season in 2020 you know, you can call it a Mickey Mouse Cy Young Award all you want, but he put up the numbers in 2020 that commanded the large payday, but it was only, what, three years from the Dodgers? It was like 120 over three years, and it's, I don't know, you can opt out after every year or something. The details of it are weird, but what I'm saying is that it's a short-term deal with very high average annual value, and I think we might see a similar type thing with Robbie Ray just because he doesn't have the career numbers but he's coming off that impeccable season. So, yeah, and I mean, you root for him every day to put up great numbers, but every time he goes out there and puts up a start, the price is going up, and those starts have been amazing. He leads all of the American League in wins above replacement for pitchers right now with 5.5, according to baseball references metric and an earned run average. He is second in the American League behind only Lance Lynn at a 272 ERA and that's ticking down as we speak so maybe there's a chance he catches Lynn in the final month of the season so um, right now I don't think he wins the Cy Young Award I don't think anyone like whether he deserves it or not is another question and of course he has all those strikeout numbers ERAs and everything we saw you know going back to 2016 Sanchez Aaron Sanchez led the league in ERA but he didn't win the Cy Young Award. So ERA isn't everything, but I think Lance Lynn is the odds-on favorite right now. Garrett Cole is in the conversation as well, a lot of people considering him, but I think Robbie Ray is right up there in the final three. Um, if I had to bet right now, I think he finishes third in Cy Young voting. I don't think he's getting the same amount of attention as Garrett Cole is, as Lance Lynn is, and things can change in the final month of the season, and if he keeps putting up the numbers he is right now, you know, all bets are off because... He's putting up a career season right now, but right now I would say it's going to be Lance Lynn, then Garrett Cole, then Robbie Ray. That's tough. I'm going to say, I'm putting, I'll make it a little interesting. I'm going to say, as of right now, if I had to pick or slash predict, I'm going to say it's probably Lance Lynn, but I'm going to put him at like the 1A and Robbie Ray is the 1B because at this point, we need September to to play itself out. We need the rest of the season to go because at this point, it's, you know, the Blue Jays or, or the people voting, they, it'll be tough not to, or, or it'll be tough to not vote for Robbie Ray if he's able to put up these numbers or if he's continuing to put these numbers up because it's been consistent all season. And yeah, I, I don't think Garrett Cole is, I think he's third, but if Robbie Ray continues what he's doing, then I think that he'll take the Cy Young. It, I think that's a, a fair bet to put on. 
Yeah, it's going to be tough. Um, we, it's going to be. Yeah, I think it, it'll be a three-man race between Lance Lynn, Garrett Cole, and Robbie Ray. I think those are your they're your top three right now. Um, you know, I just I'm not as worried about the Cy Young um, as others. I just the more I worry, really, and I, I I think Mark, you said it too. The more I think of him or Robbie Ray now in terms of each every time he starts is I don't really worry about the Young. I worry about his contract. And that's really what gets me um, the entire time. So regardless if he wins it or not, he's going to be a, a finalist or he'll be a candidate to do it. And it's going to be a career breakout year for him in terms of you know his turnaround and pre- pretty much what he's done throughout his entire career. One of the best starts or best years of his career, if not the best year of his career. His walks are down, his strikeouts are up. But yeah, in terms of that, um, I think it'll be Garrett Cole, Lance Lynn, or Robbie Ray. I don't know how much um really Robbie Ray will like how far he'll get in the race I think more it'll be more likely like uh what you guys were saying between Garrett Cole or Lance Lynn that then that's I think it's fair but you know Garrett Cole obviously had that bad couple months stretch after the uh sticky stuff ban the spider attack controversy and then Lance Lynn's been pretty consistent um all year so you know that's why I think it might be Lance Lynn out of those three and I think uh Lance Lynn's my prediction all right. Well, we will see what happens with that. As always, we enjoy watching Robbie Ray pitch, and we're excited to see what he does his next time out. And just one last note on that Chicago series, his start, 14 Ks, the most strikeouts in a single start ever by a left-handed pitcher in franchise history, the most by a left-handed pitcher this season, um, regardless of the team, and uh, just incredible numbers from him, and he now leads the American League in strike it. So yeah, just before you wrap things up, I don't know if this, you know, maybe furthers the George Springer DH thing, but I don't know if you guys have saw, but the Jays have claimed outfielder Gerard Dyson off of waivers from the Kansas city Royals. Interesting. So now they got Malik Smith and Gerard Dyson. So we'll see what happens there. So another guy to figure into that outfield conversation, but We'll wrap the podcast up there. Thank you to everyone who listened to this episode. As always, you can support our podcast by going to patreon.com slash section138pod. You can stay up to date with everything we're doing on social media at section138pod. That's on Instagram and Twitter. You can watch our episodes on YouTube, or if you are watching this episode, you can listen to our episode wherever you find podcasts, including Apple Podcasts, where you can rate and review us which just helps spread the word about what we're doing and helps new people find our podcast. So thanks to everyone who listened to this episode, and we will catch you after this weekend series against Detroit.